0: everyone to this which is now our 23rd podcast brought to you by good thinking london's digital mental well-being service my name's tracy parr and i'm the director of transformation for good thinking our podcasts are here to help listeners make sense of a world affected by covid19 they're available across all podcast channels and we really appreciate if you would share rate and review our podcasts in this podcast dr richard graham good thinking's clinical director is in discussion with two of the directors of BEAT, the eating disorder charity. They are Andrew Radford and Caroline Price. Lockdown is really helpful for preventing the spread of COVID, but not for eating disorders. They thrive in isolation. Here, Andrew and Caroline share how a combination of agility and innovation has helped them to respond to the still increasing demand for support during lockdown and beyond. Over to you, Richard Andrew and Caroline.
1: Thank you, Tracy. And thank you, Andrew. And thank you, Caroline, for making time today to talk with us on this really important issue. We're going to be talking about eating disorders at the time of COVID. But I guess for some people, they may not completely understand just how an eating disorder might impact on their lives or on the lives of those around them. Perhaps, Caroline, it would be good to ask you first how can we understand what an eating disorder is?
2: So eating disorders are a very complex mental illness, which is usually very misunderstood by the wider public. Perhaps people believe that anorexia is tied up around body image and perhaps that it's a choice and it absolutely isn't. It's not within an individual's control. So whether it's anorexia, bulimia or binge eating disorder, the three main types of eating disorders, it's essentially an individual who is struggling psychologically to cope and will use an eating disorder as a coping mechanism. So it's usually an obsession around food, weight, or shape. And depending on the different diagnosis of the disordered eating, whether it be anorexia, which is restricting, bulimia can be restricting, but also purging and binge eating is at times restricting, but eating excessive amounts of food in order to feel in control of what's happening within their life.
1: Right. So those three categories that you've described, I guess restricting would be when somebody is trying to control or as the label says really, restrict the amount of food they take in.
0: Yeah,
2: that's right. And it is a fear of gaining weight. So eating disorders are very complex, but they're within the different diagnosis categories. that They can manifest in very different ways. So I think that adds to the uncertainty around why there's so much stigma around them and perhaps why they're not as well understood in mainstream media and the public eye.
1: Yeah. Uh, the issue with bulimia, you add, is that in addition to restriction, there's something called purging. And presumably that's something about getting rid of the food or trying to reduce any possible weight gain.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that can be through self-induced vomiting, use of laxatives, or for some people, um, an excessive use of exercise in order to burn off the calories that they've consumed that they now feel guilty about and, are, you know, fearing yeah. that they're going to gain weight.
1: I think you're already pointing out how difficult some of those things might be for somebody who's in isolation or lockdown. And then finally, the last category of somebody who has a binge eating issue that they may restrict, but then at some point they find that difficult to manage and might then sort of eat excessively in a, well, I guess in a binge.
2: Yeah, absolutely. An overwhelming compulsion to overeat. But again, public and media misconception might be that that's a willful control to want to eat too much. But actually, it's really excessive and actually quite extreme and, you know, discomforting for the person who's doing it, but they're not able to control their actions.
1: I think that's a really helpful point. And as you've made this in many ways already today, that these are individuals who simply can't stop, whether it's restriction or that compulsion to sometimes almost eat everything in the fridge or in the cupboard or certainly on the plate, and and that it's not simply about enjoying or satisfaction. It's a tormented state of not being able to stop.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So you've outlined the particular challenges that somebody with an eating disorder might struggle with. I guess COVID has presented then particular additional challenges. Could you... Tell us something about any changes you've seen in terms of the demand upon your service.
2: Yeah, so since February, we've seen a 73% increase in the number of contacts. So that's quite a stark increase, showing that people really do need support with their eating disorder. And they're all referencing coronavirus as being a a major concern for them. Or indeed calls that we've taken from people who are calling on behalf of a loved one. So carers, parents, family members who are concerned. So COVID has definitely had an impact on not just those with an eating disorder, but also their family and friends who are concerned about the fact that we know eating disorders thrive in isolation and the coronavirus and the lockdown and the way that the world has been living for the last three months. It's just perfect climate for people to be able to be in isolation where they're not in contact with friends and family who might have been a coping mechanism to help keep normality and routine all the stockpiling that happened in the early days caused yeah. a lot of anxiety for people where they were not able to maybe access the foods that they felt comfortable eating as part of their meal plan. Yeah. It also meant that there was a lot of fear around should they be shielding because of perhaps you know, it could be for people with an eating disorder that they need to shield because they may be more vulnerable because of their health, because of the medical side effects of having an eating disorder. So not wanting yeah. to go out and, and get the food that they need. And then for those that do use exercise as part of their recovery, not being able to go out and about and do what they normally would. So the restrictions of lockdown caused a lot of stress and anxiety. So therefore feeding the eating disorder fears and thoughts that if they're not moving as frequently as they used to, they're going to gain weight. So I mentioned before that exercise can be used as part of an eating disorder and that can be part of purging. But we do know that some people with an eating disorder exercise can become a healthy part of helping them with their well-being and their mental health. So it's not always a bad thing, but the fact that lockdown prevented people at times from exercising as frequently as they would have definitely caused them problems. And I think for us, what we're concerned quite a lot about is that our crisis contacts have doubled in the last three months. So showing that it's not just causing a bit of anxiety, it's actually pushing people to breaking point.
1: Yes, yes, that's really helpful to hear just what a devastating impact it's had on so many lives in terms of their mental health. And I guess when they're calling, they are talking about the eating disorder, but I guess. They're also talking about feelings of anxiety, perhaps even low mood, and perhaps even worse than that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the eating disorder thoughts are so strong and overwhelming, and perhaps because they're not, for their circumstances, not able to access the treatment or the services that they were accessing before, or they're not finding the alternatives that are being offered to them as helpful, they're really struggling to cope with their recovery and sort of feeling that the eating disorder is taking over again.
1: Yes. Perhaps at this point, Andrew, as the CEO of BEAT and and sort of overseeing all of the services that you offer, this inevitably has had a huge impact on your service and how you're coping with the demands on your service.
3: Yes, as Caroline's described, the demand for the service has risen hugely and as far as we can see continues to rise. Each month we're reporting that demand has gone up uh, compared with pre-COVID even more. So it just looks like we're accelerating into a period of ever increasing demand for, for what we're doing. And of course, that's hugely worrying for the point of view of the people who are needing the services and a huge challenge for how we deal with it. And I suppose one silver lining to all of this is that there are certain things that we would do in a normal situation that we're no longer able to do. So face-to-face training, which took quite a lot of our energies pre-COVID, is of course now totally infeasible. And some of the other activities that we would have done are not taking place. So we've reassigned quite a lot of staff to focus more on supporting people directly through the helpline and its various activities there. So we found ourselves in a position where it was really obvious what needed to be done. And that was make sure the helpline was as resilient as possible. And then we've used the staff that we've got, the resources that we've got, the the sort of keenness of our volunteers, which has increased as well as part of this, to respond to it. And, And so far, while the demand's going up, we do seem to be sort of maintaining the standard of service that we were providing before covid which means that about 80% of people who try to get hold of us at any one point can actually get through at the
1: time. Gosh, that's fantastic, given the enormous sort of increase that so many people can still get that really rapid response from you. Yeah, it, it is brilliant that we can deliver that
3: level of response. Of course, the, the concern is how long we can keep that going, because uh, I, I do worry for the, the well-being of staff who are sort of dealing at that level of intensity all of the time. I mean, so far, they're responding incredibly well, really wanting to be part of it. But we have to keep an eye on the, the well-being of the, the people who themselves are sort of facing this uh, increased intensity uh, of service provision day in, day out.
1: One of the things I think you've both touched on, perhaps implicitly, is that, as for many of us, being in lockdown has meant working from home, having to work in different ways. And I guess also for people with an eating disorder, Caroline, this is the first time a pandemic of this scale has happened in the digital age. And I guess there could be advantages to that, and there could be considerable disadvantages. I wonder, perhaps starting with you first, Caroline, in terms of for someone struggling with an eating disorder, has the online world proved to be much of a support to them or has it brought in additional complications?
2: Well, always with online and social media and the internet, it's a double-edged sword, absolutely. So we've seen our online groups that we were off in pre-COVID, we've seen 140% increase in people using those and a 55% increase in people using our web chat service. So showing that that is an accessible way for them to reach out for support because not everybody wants to contact or access support over the phone. We used to run online groups in the evening, every day of the week. And what we were hearing from our service users on the helpline was that, you know, they're struggling during the daytime, that some of them have been furloughed, some of them are working, but they are missing that opportunity to connect with people who they know understand how yeah. they feel so not just their friends and family or yeah. just people who you know their peers so we yeah. launched the sanctuary online group which is available every day of the week Monday to Friday it's open 12 till 8 and on weekends and bank holidays it's open four till eight so our helpline opening hours and what we're seeing is that there are people in there supporting one another sharing advice and, and tips on how to cope but also just a really lovely community of people who kind of empathising one, with one another that they're not alone and what they're experiencing is happening to other people too. So that's really lovely to see. And that's really one of the great examples of how the internet and how online support can yeah. really benefit individuals. But on the flip side, we're also hearing that the constant news updates, you know, the constant death count, the constant guidance and advice from government that at times could for some feel like it's contradictory or not clear And that just really building the fear into those who have an eating disorder that they're concerned about their health and perhaps what will happen if they are unwell and they need to go into hospital, how that would impact on them. And would they be able to cope with catching the virus? So from that point of view, the internet's not been helpful. But we also know that the internet can be a dark place full of lots of poor quality information and can be susceptible to sites such as pro-anorexia sites and individuals sharing tips on how to maintain the illness, which is not safe. So there are dangers there, but BEAT ensures that we're always the search option that comes up top. Um, So we work very hard with Google Ads to ensure that if anyone is searching for support around eating disorders or you know any of the keywords around eating disorders, that BEAT will come up as the first option so that we're a reliable source of advice and guidance and that it's a, then a very quick way to know how to access all of our support services. And we have a presence across the main social media sites, such as Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So if individuals are on there and they're seeing things that are very unhelpful and perhaps triggering BEAT is there as an alternative for them to be able to get access to good quality support and advice where they know it's safe.
1: I was also thinking, Andrew, in terms of offering a service, it sounds like BEAT has been working for some time in harnessing technology to use it to support people with eating disorders. And I just wondered whether, given all the changes that we're all dealing with in terms of different ways of working, whether you were already a step ahead in terms of embracing the way technology can give greater access
3: yeah i think we found ourselves in something of a fortunate position in that over the past four years we've moved away from having a a single office in norwich to having the helpline being based in warrington and a small london office and a few home-based workers and because of that we've moved strongly towards uh, using video conferencing and allowing people to work from home in a much more sort of flexible way so on the day that the working from home recommendation came out We all just started working from home and we seem to have responded to it very effectively even the helpline where you'd expect the office was an essential part of it they've just moved over and do everything from home keep in touch with each other through various forms of uh, technology and deal with safeguarding issues through using different channels so yeah we hit the ground running and then of course using the technology that we were already comfortable and familiar with to then look at the way we were providing the services so Caroline's mentioned things like the online groups which we were already doing but then looking at how we now I suppose take advantage of what's happened in terms of people's attitude to video conferencing, which before COVID, there's a lot of reluctance to using it. And now I think society as a whole has shifted very strongly to realising it can be quite a positive experience. Uh, so now we're looking at, at how we move more of our services that we would have traditionally done face-to-face or that we weren't doing at all into a face-to-face but online solution. And you know, we're feeling pretty comfortable that that's now going to provide a a way to do more things more cost effectively to more people and for it not to matter whether you live in the city centre or up a mountain everybody then gets the same access
1: to it. And perhaps a question to both of you I guess for this group sometimes being in a room face to face is not a, a comfortable experience by any means and I wondered whether there was a sense that the sort of way you can connect with people in a place where they do feel a bit more comfortable in itself is allowing you to help them in ways that simply offline services can't.
2: Absolutely. And all of our online support services, like our online groups, are moderated by a beat member of staff. So there's no way in which individuals can share triggering content or personal Mm -hmm. information. Um, It's a way of keeping it completely safe. And as we look to move services for those directly affected by an eating disorder online through Zoom, people having the option to choose not to have their camera on if they don't feel comfortable, but they're still able to see the facilitator uh, means that they are able to engage with the support service in a way like you suggested. If it was face to face, they may not turn up to that appointment. So there are definitely great benefits. And as Andrew said, taking advantage, trying to see the positives in the darkness of all the hassle that's been caused by a pandemic, that actually this is an opportunity to find new ways of working and thrive in this current environment. It's not just about survival for us. We want to be able to do more and be able to be of more assistance to our beneficiaries where we can
1: a fantastic point you make that for someone who's, say, using Zoom, they've got the option of using chat or talking or having the video, the camera switched on. And that in itself is already empowering them to have more of an influence over the way that conversation might evolve. So that does sound like, I I would guess, especially for this group, a really great opportunity, as you say, to kind of enable them to feel more comfortable, more in control as to how their therapy progresses. Andrew, it sounds in a way that you're the right service in the right place at the right time in terms of what you can offer those with eating disorders, but we also know that charities are struggling with a sort of perfect storm as well of massive increases in demand and also challenges in terms of funding. I wonder whether that's also something that BEAT has had to engage with, that challenge. Yes,
3: that that first week of sort of lockdown was a, an incredibly frightening time. We were looking at a, a million pound deficit in our uh, income. Gosh. And it was a really sickening moment when we were looking at that. Now, very quickly, we used the furlough scheme. We reduced staff hours and pay unless they were working on the helpline. We reassigned people to focus on the things that were most effective. And then we cut the costs, where, notably things that you couldn't do anyway. So we've taken most of the pain out of that. And then our funders have been remarkable, whether that's your average individual supporter who started doing challenge events for us despite lockdown or whether it's the 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 major donors like the the lottery and city bridge trust and people like that who, who were giving us money to do very specific restricted things that were much harder to do under the current circumstances and they've lifted the restriction and told us to spend it where we can have the greatest impact and to see the donor community come out like that and say no We trust you to know what your people need most and what's going to be most effective. Please get on with it. So that helped enormously. So we've sort of resettled, if you like. So we are fortunate in the charity sector in that things are looking okay at the moment. It's always going to be shaky because, of course, we've no idea how it's going to, to last. So just because the first two months of it have been okay, doesn't mean that the next one's not going to be the scary prospect that we thought it might be. But while we can access the government uh, emergency mental health funds in the the Four Nations, while we can sort of talk to donors who are now revisiting their strategies to refocus on COVID, we are providing an essential service and people for the time being are getting behind us and uh, believing us and supporting us. So I think there's a lot of charities out there who are seriously struggling. And for now providing that our people stay behind us, we're being enabled by our supporters to to rise to the challenge.
1: And it perhaps suggests that there might be an additional phrase added to the sort of stay at home, protect the NHS, etc., which might be support charities, because perhaps many people haven't realised the extent to which the charities are familiar with using technology and, and remote working, etc., to support their users, This would be a really good time to make sure we don't lose all of that because of all the support you've been able to offer whilst the NHS has been protected to support those who are infected with COVID. So really good message to to get out there.
3: Yeah, I mean we are an incredibly cost effective service and you know, while the NHS is struggling with whether it's struggling to provide treatment or shifting the way it's providing treatment or that it's an environment that people are increasingly reluctant to engage with because of their own anxieties. So there's you know, in some places services are being restricted and some places they're not, but people perceive that they are in other places people simply don't want to engage with them. Whereas if you're engaging with Beats online or over the telephone, that's a, a safer place to be. And while it's no substitute for actual treatment, uh, yeah, we can keep people supported and reasonably healthy while they're sort of getting into a place where they can start treatment.
1: Yes, and and what I think you've also communicated very clearly, as an organisation, you've been agile and very responsive in terms of how you adapt to whatever that next step is to ensure that the users of your services still have that prioritisation and you will do everything you can to make sure their needs are met.
3: Yes, I mean, I cannot praise the staff team highly enough. They have been so enthusiastic to get this right. Everybody we put on furlough was really disappointed not to be part of it. And then as soon as we brought people back from furlough, they've been hitting the ground running enthusiastically, delivering services, creating new ideas. Uh, It's been really amazing to see them all pull together.
1: Well, that really does sound fantastic. But of course, we are possibly coming to the end of chapter one of the COVID story. So going forwards for both of you, as lockdown eases, we face still uncertainty. And I wonder perhaps for you first, Caroline, have you got any thoughts or tips for anyone who has been struggling with their eating disorder during this time, how they might start to approach the easing of lockdown with all those anxieties about what the guidance is going to be, how safe situations are going to be, etc. I'm guessing you've been having those discussions on the helpline.
2: Yeah, we have. And um, it is a cause of concern. It's almost a flipped coin from the anxieties that they perhaps had when we started lockdown. So first of all, it was adjusting and getting used to what we could and couldn't do within lockdown. And now as lockdown is eased, people are very nervous about, is this the right time? Do we trust the advice? but also now readjusting to being able to feel confident and comfortable to go back out and do their own shopping and whatever, you know, go back to work. It just feels like just as though they may be settling into their new reality, it's happening to change again. So it's all disruptive for them, their day to day life and how they cope. What we would suggest on the helpline when people contact us is that they If they can, like I said before, eating disorders thrive in isolation. It's always best to try and find somebody, whether it's a friend or a family member, who's aware of what they're going through so that they can be there to support them through it. And if they are in a position where they feel that they can't share that with a close family or friend and that perhaps for some people they're keeping their eating disorder to themselves and nobody knows, that is why BEAT is there to support them so that they don't have to go through it alone and that they can get advice and support from us, whether it be through our fantastic website or being in direct contact with us on the helpline to talk through how they're coping. We're not a a one-off help service. We have service users return to us many times throughout their recovery, because we know that recovery is not a simple linear process. It's tough and they have ups and downs and they need support with various aspects of life as they attempt to recover. And for a lot of people, the overwhelming theme that sticks in my mind is a lot of people have said, I know I'm not okay, But there are people who are worse off than me right now, and I'm not worthy of taking up that NHS support or, you know, bothering my GP. And our message has always been, doesn't matter what's going on in the wider world. This eating disorder is incredibly serious and you do deserve support. And the sooner you get access to treatment, the more likely you are to recover from your eating disorder and remain recovered. Relapse is far less likely. The research shows the the sooner you tackle your eating disorder. But we also know from some research that we conducted a few years ago that it can take on average three years before somebody actually realises they have an eating disorder and reaches out to access support. But we know that they need to get access to treatment before three years. So our role is to be there to encourage them to acknowledge that there is an issue and that they do deserve access to treatment and
0: support.
1: That sounds like a really helpful message. And I, I still like the phrase that eating disorders thrive in isolation and what a particular challenge this has been. Andrew, in terms of BEAT as an organisation, are you thinking ahead as to how the changes that we're all going to be adjusting to, as Caroline was describing, is going to lead to further changes in your organisation?
3: Yes, there's no way that we're going to get back to the same normal as we left behind three months ago. is there? So from a staffing point of view, you know, there's been a lot of positives that we've learned about working from home and working remotely and we want to make sure that we take the best of that and keep it while making sure that people can access the things that they like most about the old style of working so we're expecting to sort of totally recast the way that we work together and then of course the way that we provide our services we had a business model before this happened that was very much a split between Uh, things that happened remotely and things that happened face to face and anything that we plan for the future that needs to take place face to face needs to have a fallback position of not taking place face to face and that will happen you know as people become more comfortable with that but you have to redesign and we're in the process of redesigning our services to make sure that they can function both ways so if there is a second phase of covid we will be able to respond to that if we move back into say providing schools training for example we can find ways of providing that same training online if it all happens again so yeah we're looking into an unknown aren't we? we we don't know how long it's going to last we don't know how many sort of repeat spikes we're going to get i think we can be confident that whatever happens anxiety levels are going to stay high or perhaps go even higher and therefore we need to be ready for it So, you know, it's interesting times, and interesting times aren't always what you want to live through, but so far we are preparing for those future (laughs) interesting times.
1: Indeed. It is the traditional Chinese curse, isn't it, that may (laughs) you live in interesting times. And yet what comes across is both a recognition that you're sort of listening and responding to what your users need, but recognising that the need is growing, irrespective of any second wave or spike, as you put it, And so whatever any of us are doing now, we have to keep in mind efficiencies, abilities to scale, and make sure we can help as many people as possible, given the context we're in. So that powerfully comes together. And I think if I'm correct in detecting this, Andrew, there's almost a bit of excitement about being able to do more in better ways. It's not just bad news, it's opportunity as well.
3: Well, we're always going to want to rise to that challenge and do more things for our people. And far sooner we were doing it in happier circumstances but uh, you can only take the circumstances that are provided to you and uh, sort of sitting down with people remotely and working through new ideas and bashing ideas around over zoom and then implementing them is really inspiring so you know while we stay healthy and things start you know looking up for everybody it can have
1: its uh, there's a silver lining let's put it that way it's a big dark
3: nasty cloud but there is a a silver lining yeah
1: yeah Well, thank you both so much for sort of taking the time to tell us all about these insights and new ways of working that you've been able to put in place at speed. And I I would guess how many people with eating disorders are very grateful that you're there. I think it's at this point in the podcast, though, where we try to, in some way, sort of thank uh, those we've been talking to by giving you a bit of a thought experiment that might sort of allow you a bit of respite from these huge demands that you've been struggling with. And that's to present you with an idea of going into lockdown, but with some knowledge, some foresight, that you could organise how you did that. And particularly, that you could take three famous or prominent people into lockdown with you. And we'll, we'll ignore social distancing. We'll allow you to get together with some people that you might have wanted somewhere in the back of your mind to have spent time with if you could have. So perhaps, Caroline, could I ask you first... Which three people would you take into lockdown?
2: Excellent question. And the three that I'm going to choose are actually quite random, but, you know, it make it an interesting lockdown. So uh, my first one would be Michelle Obama. I think she provides fascinating conversation. And she also, uh, from what I've observed, has a fantastic sense of humour. So that would help perhaps pass the time. My second one would be Lassie. I know she's not a (laughs) person, but, you know, I love dogs. You know, she's very resourceful. So absolutely the sort of companion that you want in a crisis. And the third one would be Captain America, because I'm sure he provides excellent conversation.
1: Yes, I suspect it's not just conversation with Captain America, but (laughs) I'm reminded of a a lovely cartoon I once saw where there was a man in quicksand talking to Lassie saying, Lassie, get help. And the next image was of Lassie lying on Freud's couch having psychotherapy. (laughs) So just be careful with these dogs. They're sometimes smart than we think. (laughs) Andrew who would you like to take into lockdown with you? For me it would have to be
3: people who make me think and make me laugh. In reality it would be a small group of friends who would achieve that best but if we're going for the sort of fantasy approach then I'd start with Christopher Eccleston. He's just signed up as a supporter of Beat. He is somebody I've admired ever since he first appeared on the big screen in the early 1990s. He's from Salford, where I went to university. I've always found him a great person. And then I think I'd accompany him with David Mitchell because he is thoughtful and funny. And if we're in Fantasyland, I'm going to bring Linda Smith back because I think she's the funniest person I've ever heard.
1: And it was very sad when we lost her a few years ago. That's a very nice thought and and a reminder for anybody who doesn't know of Linda Smith's contribution to the world of comedy. What a fantastic personality and mind. We, As you say, we, we sadly did lose too soon. But yes, some real sort of intellectual and talented sort of substance in there with you to presumably feed your mind and keep it sort of occupied during some of the strains of lockdown. So that's that's a really nice combination. But I think especially to be reminded of Linda Smith, I guess sometimes when we live through intense phases, we can quickly forget some of the figures that have been very important to us. Well, you've got some very interesting combinations of figures, if, if Lassie uh, counts as a figure. <laughs> You're allowed to take a book or some music, a film, or even a recording of an event. Some people have chosen sporting events to have on their phone or tablet to take with them. Caroline, do you have anything in mind when you think of something you could take that might help manage the lockdown period?
2: Well, I love Christmas, and I'm not a big reader of books, I have to admit, but even from a childhood, I've Always loved A Christmas Carol. I've read it a million times. I've seen various animated versions of it a million times. So uh, never get bored of it. So I take A Christmas Carol.
1: And I guess a story of reflection and, and also transformation. So, yeah, it's quite a nice idea to take that with you. Andrew, have you got a particular piece or book? Well, I think if I
3: wasn't having to sort of work, I would have uh, already taken advantage of the lockdown time to read the China study, which is a sort of epidemiological groundbreaking book from some research that was done in the 1980s in China, where they looked at diets across that vast country and compared the different sorts of diets. And it was probably a unique moment when you could do the studying to work out what diet looks like before it's contaminated by western eating which of course makes anything now really hard to study Uh, so i'd love to read that and read it properly so that's the intellectual version but i'd probably spend more time doing what i've really been doing which is re-engaging with sort of late 80s and early 90s indie pop just to remind me of my youth
1: (laughs) uh, any particular band or, or a record that would sort of tick that box
3: Well, I mean, to be honest, what I'm listening to now is a combination of Transvision Vamp and The Stranglers (laughs) and Veruca Salt. So, I mean, um, yeah, it's uh,
1: it's not highbrow. Uh, (laughs) Well, it may not be highbrow, but it certainly wasn't obvious. And I just hope your donors didn't catch this part of the podcast. (laughs) Finally, you're allowed a luxury. And again, with this sort of combination of personalities and and, and having something to, to read or listen to, what else would sweeten the pill of lockdown? Caroline?
2: I went actually quite low, uh, kind of low luxury, assuming that it might be more desert islands as opposed to just in lockdown. But I am addicted to tea. I think I wouldn't cope in any crisis without a good old, you know, English tea. So, yeah, that would be my luxury to make sure I always had access to that. Gets me through anything.
1: And that's a breakfast tea or Earl Grey or?
2: Breakfast tea. Yeah.
1: That's a smart choice. Andrew, I hardly dare ask, having heard of Transvision Vamp for the first time for a few years, what your luxury might be.
3: Well, I think I'm going to give you an insight into what our leadership meetings are like at Beat now, because my luxury would be coffee. (laughs) So Caroline says, tea, I'm going coffee. So it would be a supply of good coffee and a, a proper stovetop coffee maker that would probably keep me happy for quite a long time.
1: Okay, so the two of you have really gone down a sort of caffeine route, really, which I think, given the nature of your work, might be unadvisable at one level, but given the demands upon you, sounds like a smart move. So let's make sure there's plenty of tea and coffee for you both to get you through. Well, thank you so much for sharing so many insights into what is happening for those that are struggling with an eating disorder during COVID, but also, as you say, Andrew, the silver lining of how we can respond And actually do some things differently and better that might make for a better service in the future. So thank you so much. And thank you for all the extraordinary support you're offering many around the country.
3: Thank you for having us on. Thank you.
0: Our music is kindly provided by Key Changes a charity offering award-winning music engagement and recovery services for people experiencing mental health issues. Thank you to all at Key Changes.